AI is advancing rapidly. With it comes concerns of inherent biases programmed into it unintentionally by its creators. As such, investigations into AI fairness are becoming increasingly pertinent as AI systems enter more aspects of our daily lives. Think Digital Futures producer Andrew Herlinger investigates. As artificial intelligence continues to develop and improve, there has been a growing appetite from individuals and organizations who want to automate some of their decision-making functions. While AI-informed decision-making can lead to faster and better outcomes, they can also have legal and ethical impacts if utilized in sectors such as criminal justice, banking, finance, and hiring. So what do we do to check whether these decision-makers operate fairly? Is there any sort of explanation provided that gives users an insight into the AI system's decision-making process? And how do designers ensure that these systems are free from biases when they themselves are left confounded by the specific decisions made by the AI? These are all questions that Australians deserve to have answered given the massive growth within the AI industry. You're listening to Think Digital Futures. I'm Andrew Herlinger. AI systems are everywhere. Found on sites such as Google Maps and Amazon, they can process and learn algorithms through the data it collects and use that to make efficient decisions. On face value, it sounds great, especially when it can recommend your best transport route or fill out your ideal shopping list. Yet AI decision makers are often difficult to understand, and they remain a black box in that sometimes no one can apprehend how the data was processed and analysed before the decision was made. Professor Fang Chen is the Executive Director of the Data Science Institute at the University of Technology, Sydney, and she dispelled concerns that these AI systems make decisions without considering the data inputted into them. In reality now, most of the AI programs actually are we call machine learning. Basically, the machine learns from past data, learns some pattern, and from that pattern to assume the future will happen as this pattern. Rather than machine create anything like new, they just follow what they discovered from past data particularly, and they're mimicking that pattern using that one to predict the future. At this current stage, AI systems are not designed to think creatively. Instead, AI operate through algorithms, which are often based on a large amount of historical data. The issue with these algorithms is that it can both replicate and amplify existing biases that existed when the historical data was created. Therefore, Due to such biased input data or faulty algorithms, unfair AI-informed decision-making systems have been proven to reinforce discrimination. This, in turn, has created a sense of distrust in using AI systems for public discussion and even a bit of fear. The fundamental challenge is coming from AI is the computing model, which is treated as a black box. 
So in this black box, the, of course, you have certain input, which is data, then output. And the magic in between is very mathematically formulated. And the mathematically formulated uh, those model or equation may not be so easy for general public to understand. So you, you know there's a magic box there, but you don't know what exactly happened inside. Hence, people raise the question where the decision comes from, how you make decision, how this black box actually working. Professor Chen has worked on a few papers that question whether AI systems explain their decisions. She notes that a lack of representation and diversity are the key contributors to implicit biases within the AI algorithms. AI is sort of like a child. Child depends on how the society, what value system you give the, the child. So in this one, is you design the rules for AI, which is you want uh, the fair representation. You want the algorithm that doesn't have any bias linked towards one category or the other. All those ones can be done. Second one is you need to understand sometimes bias is coming from data or observation. Uh, myself, I worked on the facial recognition program and then used myself as an example is because of the data we collected at that time, a lot of them are Caucasian kind of a face. And I got an Asian presence appearance and apparently as an odd one out, it's always recognized myself. It's not about the AI discriminate myself. It's because of representation of this class, which is the Asian appearance in the database. Those things can be balanced as long as we get the balance the data from beginning, which you have different race, different representatives to have a similar amount to put into AI program training. That will avoid a lot of bias and people talking about in the marketplace. Professor Chen suggests that a better spread of diversity would at least resolve the race and gender biases that could potentially exist in AI decision-making. Having said that, she did admit that eliminating all biases would be a tough ask. It's always a bit, uh, how to say, you can do better, but if you say you can do 100%, no, in this world, nothing is 100%. And human beings always in charge of uh, how we design a program because AI at the moment, they are not the self-running program. Is we give them rules and we give them the input, we give, uh, regulate the output. So I think we have a lot of control, but the key is we need to know what we want. The programming of AI systems is one of the biggest conundrums facing the industry today. Gone are the days where researchers were mainly focused on how to create an AI. Now, it's all about making it efficient and effective. And for developers to do that, they need to know the outcomes they want from the AI and the audience that will use this AI system. This is where Professor Chen's new research becomes important, since it's not just about making the system useful, but making the user believe that they can trust the artificial intelligence to do its program task. I found that AI is incredibly beneficial in promoting productivity, efficiency, and getting people off some of the repetitive 
you know, low-end work and uh, free up of human being to do more creative work and uh, less hazardous environment. According to Professor Chen, AI systems can be distinguished into two categories, AI decision-making systems and AI decision support systems. Decision support systems tend to be the more common AI system found in Australia, and they often act as a guide to help people make decisions. This differs from the actual decision-making systems, which take the full onus for the judgment process. Decision support is this selected images or spot being sent to the control room. Those people, instead of the flip, uh, you know, limited the images every day, they only review the selected images and they say, okay, in these selected images, okay, yeah, 80% of them may be right. And then after they confirm, they send it to a crew, say, okay, go to check it. Or they said, okay, this is, you know, blurry, so they ignore it. So this is called decision support. So eventually still these uh, people in the control room or whatever position, they decide whether the computer judgment is right. But the computer provided them more information because at least they compared the last day to this day, whether there's changes. So rather than you flip the images by your naked eye, which is how many pages you can flip every every minute, you know, but a computer can automatically select thousands of them, tens of thousands of them and give you the list that you really need to look into. One recent example of an AI decision support system is the new GitHub Copilot that has been released by Microsoft. Microsoft's collaboration platform, GitHub, is a social network where people upload and share lines of code. Created by individual hobbyists and highly paid software engineers at big tech companies, these lines of code are used to create and run apps, search engines, websites, and many other functions. However, the work involved in creating these lines of code can be both mundane and time-consuming. And for businesses who hire coders, the cost can be quite high. Ben Swift is a senior lecturer in the School of Cybernetics at the Australian National University. He says that the AI system has had access to millions and millions of codes, and that these codes have been heavily analysed by the system to a level where this AI is now considered the next step in a long line of intelligent auto-completion tools that will be made in the future. GitHub's Copilot is an AI which you type in a plain English description of what you want your code to do, and based on this AI system, which has seen all that stuff and crunched the numbers and learned some patterns associated within that kind of data set, their Copilot system will suggest, hey, I think you might be looking for this code. And so rather than having the human having to write all the code, typing out each individual character one by one, there is this way of working where a human can feel at a fairly low level. Like we're not at the stage yet where you can just say, you know, hey, Siri, make me a million dollar app. But once you understand what the parts of your software are going to be, you can write a little bit of it and then have the AI co-pilot fill it out for you. AI systems are not yet at a level where it would eliminate the need for a software engineer. 
but it can support people by making simple codes that you can accept or reject. This then means that there is more time available to focus on the more difficult aspects of developing. I'm reluctant to use the word spooky because that kind of conjures up all sorts of AI apocalypse kind of imagery. But this is really the first time that I've used one of these tools where I've just kind of put in a pretty human readable description, like not really with any details about how to go about solving the problem. And, and at least for small chunks of software, this GitHub Copilot can generate stuff that is at times just like what I would have written. It also means that the coding platform remains a decision support system that humans can give weight to when making their decision. This is not the Terminator going to come kill us all. These are just very useful but reasonably specific tools which will provide humans with leverage in specific situations. Interestingly, the reason that all of this work has been poured into GitHub Copilot and similar systems is because programmers are expensive. And so the labor of programmers is a big juicy target for automation because if you can automate even half of that, you can save huge chunks of your of, you know, running costs of your business or whatever. The impact of these things won't be seen necessarily in the software that you use. Probably it will still look the same. It will still work approximately the same. It'll still you know, be approximately as reliable as it is today. But you know, just changes in, in industry practices and changes in the way that programmer labor is used they're, they're the things I'm really interested to kind of see how they shake out. Given this co-pilot program has only just been released, there has been little investigation into the outcomes and accuracy of the program. For a system like Copilot, though, examining its algorithms for accuracy is not critical when there are developers that can check whether the code has any bugs or errors. So I think one of the biggest impacts will be for a lot of use cases the code that it generates might sort of be good enough. And so we will see perhaps an acceleration in the development or, or an increase in the leverage of the software engineers where they're doing fairly standard things. The code has to be good enough and it needs to be not you know, rubbish, but it's kind of okay if a few bugs slip in because a few bugs always slip in. Compare this to an AI decision-making system where there is not always that foul-safe of an actual text expert checking the algorithm to see if it's delivering the right outcomes. It is for this reason why AI decision-making systems are so risky to implement, because they can make unfair judgments on matters, if not programmed correctly. Uh, decision support versus decision-making is very different. So we use the, all these Google search engines. This is kind of an AI at the background anyway. They give you the, the priority list. Basically, it's your, your ranking list, which one comes the, uh, the first. is a decision support system. But the decision-making system is the system I decide to buy uh, for you. So, again, is when we design the application, we should say, okay, Google, you can only list the priorities or you can make decisions. You, you can give them the rules, right? So for all the other applications, I think this is a design question, is in any of the use, uh, usage of AI the, through the application side, the designer or the user or procurer or whoever in charge should have a very clear mind on whether this system is used 
in as a decision maker or as a decision supporter is a provide information for you for human being to make decisions. If this is gets into completely machines going to make their decisions, and then you need to go through a lot more checkups, the scrutiny in terms of what's the scenarios, what are the corner cases that may happen to prevent those unintended consequences. But if it's the decision support system, the control is still at the human being of you make the final decision. Uh, the AI only provides you recommendations or provide you the information for you to make decisions. This risk is amplified if the AI is poorly designed in a sector such as defence or law enforcement, where support needs to be provided in a timely and effective manner. When asked about this danger, Professor Chen admitted that there were a few sectors where she felt that governments and private businesses should not rely on AI systems. So for the things we shouldn't to decide the individual benefit or health or things really relate to individual, their very personal stuff, those ones, I can't say it's absolutely not. It's just to be really be careful. That's not only AI things, also related to information, privacy, all those usage, just needed to be a lot more careful. Having said that, Professor Chen did state that there were some industries where adopting AI technology should be highly considered as it would really assist organisations in fulfilling their responsibilities. In the environment, which is to do harm to human beings, at the hazardous environment, I think it should be essential. One example I always say is that, for example, we did work in sewage, which is to identify where the sewage, uh, no corrosion may be, to avoid people where, you know, all those protective gear uh, climb into the sewer, try to find out. And then it's absolutely some work needs to be done or should be done by the by the machine, not a human being, right? So I mean, I I mean, and then like a firefighting, why why eventually we need to sacrifice a lovely human being in those situations? If if there is a chance to do that for to avoid people, human being hazardous environment, I would go for it. Given this. Professor Chen has concluded that the best way to consider whether AI technology should be used to make decisions is to consider the benefits and problems associated with implementing the AI system. I think to have a risk assessment is a good way to go to provide a certain assurance so the risk assessment or impact assessment related to what is the benefit, what is the potential risk, and the risk is, is uh, you know, risk to to whom and to what, to society, all those ones. There are certain framework is uh, formulating, whether it needs to be in the law format or in the process of procedure format. I think the key is the decision maker who's going to employ certain AI functions need to be accountable for the decision make and they have to have logical uh, process to guarantee those decisions have been made thoroughly. This recommendation 
that governments and businesses conduct risk assessments before adopting artificial intelligence has become critical because it's one of the only ways that AI can be tested for its fairness. As a result, measuring the fairness of an AI system is now something that most businesses need to know. But it's not always easy to determine how a system can be measured. After all, it is already difficult to get a consensus on what fairness is, since people will conflict with one another over their concept or definition of fairness. So, so when we're talking about human beings, first the thing is everyone has a different perception in terms of fairness because we, we know this is a complex society. Different people have a different value, different importance. The item, something fair to you may not be fair to, I think, fair to someone else. So in order to define that one, I think a define have a matrix is important. So everyone agrees on what the fairness means. Uh, fairness uh, doesn't mean that everyone's satisfied with their own requirements because that's almost become impossible. But fairness means you follow the rules. If you believe the rules are, is unfair, that's a debate on the rules. But when the rules have been defined, the result is follow the rules. That means fair, or at least the, the perception you need to give people and then give people the assurance of this is the rule, one, two, three, and the decision is follow one, two, three, and then you give people explanation of how the rules have been followed and you may use some examples to say okay use this case according to one two three rules a zigzag and this is the outcome if the human being doing that there will be the outcome if the machine doing and there will be outcome if you can provide certain examples like that i think most people will get it Professor Chen suggests that the best way to test the fairness of AI is by having the system explain its decisions. It's sort of like a high school grading system, where a teacher justifies the mark they give a student by referring to a marking criteria and giving an explanation on the reasons why she landed on this particular mark. In AI, an explanation is often the best way to demonstrate fairness and a person is more likely to trust the AI's decisions if the system is explained to them. First, if you compare what you get, the input and output. When I say input and output, as examples in terms of the teacher, give a, a, a certain marking. Marking, of course, you have certain marking criteria. And then in the AI, when we're talking about explanation, is exactly talking about some of the marking criteria is, okay, if you have more experience, you probably will be ranked higher. If you, you know, get a, a recognition in your job and your rank may be higher. So all those is your marking criteria to help to explain how AI works. And in the example, if you can list, you find, a, you know, your top ranking person you look at his CV or her CV and you find, ah, because of our marking criteria is that they have a long experience and in this particular area and they get a, you know, the recognition awards, they have blah, blah, blah. And then you find those criteria actually show up in the top selected candidates. 
then that will give you confidence to say, oh, at least it's, uh, from those examples followed the marking criteria, and then you think this PGI or this uh, AI program is actually fair. Coming up with explanations and examples of how an AI system works is only just beginning to be taken up as a practice by developers. For many businesses, there just isn't enough knowledge on how to explain this process in a way that is accessible to those using it. But at least there are now researchers who have made the commitment to learning about the AI user trust, since it is a key aspect in developing artificial intelligence systems that people use. If people do not trust the AI, then there is a fair chance that they won't use the AI. Over the time, you know that you're building the trust in the process as well. And then more you see that it follows with your kind of a concept model of how they think this should work and then it works out in a way, then all your trust is just increased or you trust the one job. AI systems are incredible. They can change the structure of a business, eliminate tedious jobs, and even fulfill some decision-making roles. But making new and different AI systems is not the only goal of developers. If AI is to be effective, it needs to build trust with its users and offer explanations. Because if it does that, then there is a better chance that implicit biases within a system can be exposed, plus there will be a greater level of certainty in the performance of an artificial intelligence system. AI decision-making and decision support systems are here to stay. The biggest task now is optimising them to their fullest potential. This has been Think Digital Futures. Think Digital Futures is made possible with the support of 2SCI Radio, the University of Technology Sydney, and is heard around Australia on the Community Radio Network. Think Digital Futures is made in Sydney, which sits on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation, whose sovereignty was never ceded. You can subscribe to Think Digital Futures wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Cameron Furlong. Thanks for listening.